welcome to the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch we are counseling on the evolution of modern worship music. Most people will probably stop listening at this point, but wait. I think it is important for us to cover this subject from the instruments to the artists to the reasons why it changed. The evolution of modern worship holds many properties of non-worship-styled music. But what are the deciding factors? Do acoustic instruments sound as good as electric? When did lights and fog become a thing? Should we pay these musicians? What did Martin Luther have to do with all of this? Do I need to be ampless? Who has the best music out right now? And what is Worship Haze? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with John on the Tweed Couch. John, thank you for being here once again with us on the couch to go ahead and talk about something that I think is going to be kind of fun. Whether you are an actual worship leader or you just attend worship and enjoy the music or whether you're like, I'm out of the whole Christian scene, I don't do this, the evolution of modern worship music is something that I think most people would be intrigued to hear about. So thank you, John, for being here on the couch with us. Uh, it's my pleasure as always. Thanks for having me back. I always leave better than I came. So Whew, that's good to hear. That's yeah. good to hear. Then you're getting your money's worth. I Yes, it's definitely worth the, uh, worth the investment. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like during this, we need to be doing communion. Like we should yeah. be drinking red wine. Yep. That's what we need to do. <laughs> Or unless we're non-denominational, and then I guess it's like grape juice. I don't know. I'll get some. Uh, I got some Mogan David in the back. We'll uh, we'll bust that out. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, all of this actually came from something that I was thinking about, and that is, I remember church forty years ago. Which, granted, I understand. I was like two, but I remember that time, and it was organs. It was hymns. It was singable bar tunes, thanks to Martin Luther. And then I remember 30 years ago when all of a sudden I would see the acoustic guitar show up and you would maybe get the upright piano instead of the organ. And I thought that was really cool. And then 20 years ago, we started to see a change and not in my church, but in many others, you'd see like some lights showing up, maybe a little bit of fog. And then we get to about 10, 15 years ago, and this boom happens. And all of a sudden, worship changes. And I feel like we just had another recent boom. And this boom is the online church. So let's start with this with you. Around 40 years ago, what do you remember worship, considered modern then, modern worship like? Well, you know, we're both about the same age. So, you know, 40 years ago, I was three, but I do remember it was the pipe organ. And then on the, on like the special Sunday, instead of using the pipe organ, they'd use the piano and it was the same songs just on the piano. You know, it was about 30 years ago when all of a sudden, like, wait, is that an acoustic guitar? Is that like, what's happening? Our church started a jazz worship. <laughs> we had like a, a piano player, an upright bass player, and a guitar player that yeah. did literally the exact same songs, just in a jazz arrangement. It was cool. It was it was different. It was it felt like, oh my gosh, we're we're progressive here. Yeah. Now, I live in Wisconsin. Yep. And that was very progressive for Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Well, and me. I'm in Texas, and so progressive for me is we decided not to wear blue jeans and boots and spurs. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's not true. (laughs) Jingle jangling on the way into church, but yeah. That's right, with our six shooters on the hip. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, and then to see see the, you know, when drum sets started showing up, and now there's two paths for this. So like, you know, in, in like the 60s, Drums and, and guitars and stuff were making their way into, you know, into churches like in California and in bigger cities. There was this like modern church music, you know, 
all of a sudden, you know, rock bands were starting to play on Sunday morning. Yeah. But in the Protestant churches, they didn't move as quick on some of those types of things. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember I was in high school. I mean, you're from, obviously we've talked about this before and you're, you, you know, you, you're familiar with the, the captive free teams. You, you did that. And yeah, um, I remember, you know, these bands showing up at our church going, Hey, we play like rock music and people not understanding, like that's not happening. And you, no, they don't get to play in the sanctuary. They're going to be in the, in the fellowship hall or they're going to be in the gym. Right. Like that doesn't belong or outdoors in- on the, <laughs> right. you know, on the grass or something. We're going to do a big community thing. We're going to put them outside. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't put drums in the sanctuary like that's that's weird and yeah for us it was I remember that jazz worship service it became our nine o'clock or our nine fifteen I think it was and I got asked to play drums at it once and I'm like oh my gosh we yeah. get to have drums in the sanctuary I think I was like a junior in high school or something I remember bringing the drum kit out and like I got to set up like the kick the snare and the hi hat and I just kind of kept time we then launched like in the late nineties early two thousands we launched a a, a modern worship. Uh, satellite location which was drums and bass and guitar and what i would consider you know classic modern worship even at the time like you know we're yeah our friends are friends forever you know and our god is an awesome god and those like those campy <laughs> songs we were yeah, playing your michael w smith your uh your mullins yeah. rich mullins yeah and I, i've always seen the you know the the worship music is always like one step behind pop music not even one step maybe you know 10 years behind <laughs> pop music yeah and that that gap's caught up a lot more recently but to your point like later 2000s you know like casting crowns came out and chris tomlin and, and some of those those artists started popping up and there's now a new worship hymnal yeah. songs that are on the radio are being played in church now and there's a whole different need for gear and and you know, musicians and, and all that stuff. And that, that really kind of anchored, not just in the, in the evangelical churches, but even in the Protestant churches, probably in the last 10, 15 years, there's been this huge resurgence and and need for guitar players and musicians. So. Yeah, it really has kind of changed over the years. And honestly, there is a ton to unpack of what you just talked about. And I think that leads me to what would be kind of, what happened around 30 years ago? Of course, we've got Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, who is arguably one of the first crossover musicians. She was mostly a Christian artist that decided to do some secular stuff. Yep. Then you had like Point of Grace, which mm-hmm. was kind of a big deal at the time. Of course, there's recycled hymns. There's some originals, that kind of stuff. But then the big change happened. Honestly, I give a lot of credit to Michael W. Smith, but I also give it to the Newsboys and DC Talk. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden, Christian music with the youth are starting to become a big deal. And what the church is starting to recognize is unless we do something to keep their attention, we're going to lose a generation. Yeah. It's weird because like, Christian music, specifically DC Talk and, and Newsboys and Audio Adrenaline and like that whole swath of of artists, they weren't writing worship songs. They were writing music. They were writing songs, pop songs that had Christian yeah. Christian values and and, and genre content. It's, yeah, it's, it's funny because you know we call it Christian genre, right? Like if you go to iTunes, it's Christian slash gospel. And it's like everything mm-hmm. from Skillet to Grits to Stephen Curtis Chapman, right? Like, I mean, it's it's just right. this huge hodgepodge, which is why I always struggle because I don't like calling it a genre because it's it's sure. many genres that have one theme, one you know, thematically right. they're all the same. But yeah, I mean, you've got Kirk Franklin, you've got DC Talk, you've got uh, all those guys coming out in the the kind of yeah. mid '90s and blowing mm-hmm. up and. Jesus Freak was a huge thing. Jars of Clay. Yeah. I mean, Flood was a secular crossover hit in the in the early nineties yeah, or mid nineties. And you've got people looking for that, going, "Well, where's that?" And you know, the other thing, if you haven't seen the Jesus Music documentary, I, I don't know if you've watched that, but uh, it's a movie. Yeah, and it's it's mm-hmm. about you know this Jesus people culture, the whole rise of of the Christian music industry, and that coincides with the change in modern worship because. 
there's just so much going on. And to your point, you've got people now listening to DC talk going, that's hip hop. That sounds like regular hip hop. You know, Toby Mac specifically like shortened the lag of Christian music because it used to be, you know, like I said, a decade behind and, and they shortened yeah. that leg to, Hey, we're going to make really good sounding content that sounds like everything else on the radio. It's just going to be a Christian, Christian genre where, I mean, you've still got, even in the late nineties, you've still got striper out there and teased hair and, and spandex shooting Bibles out into the crowd. Yeah, uh. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'll unpack the one thing that you said earlier because you're bringing it kind of up again that really the tones have changed over time. And when it came down to Christian music, it has always been behind by five to seven years. I remember the 90s ska and punk really becoming a thing. And then in the early 2000s, it became a thing for Christian you know, oh, yeah. all of a sudden the OC Supertones, which I realized those were a little bit earlier, late 90s. But yeah. OC Supertones and Five Iron Frenzy, you know, becoming a big deal. And we're going, yeah, but this is kind of the sound of like early 90s. Why, why is this happening in the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah. And nowadays we kind of look at the music and there are a number of artists that we currently have in the Christian music genre. I know you hate that term, but yeah. <laughs> in that genre that honestly you listen to them and you go, there's things that are missing in the rock genre without the Christian title that are missing that tone and the country that is missing that tone. And one of the bands that I want to do a little shout out for is Zach Williams. Oh, yeah. Because recently what he's done is he's reached out and he's done something with Dolly Parton, you know, which is huge in the country music realm. Honestly, in just being a quality human realm, you've got Dolly Parton. And Zach Williams has his own sound, but at the same time, it reaches back to old Southern gospel, rockabilly, rock, and it is... Amazing, and I'm waiting for the secular rock to try and pull that in because it it's glorious. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at him, you look at you know Ben Fuller's another one that's kind of doing the same. He's they're, up they're and coming almost, for sure. Yeah, if you haven't checked him out, check him out. But he's a, a you know too country for Christian music almost. Like it's I don't know yeah. if he's going to get a lot of radio play, but much like Zach Williams, he's got that sound and that voice. And what you're seeing now is like every Christian artist. Now this is where the industry comes in, right? Every Christian artist is trying to write that song that could be sung on a Sunday morning. They're not necessarily covering a worship tune, but they try to have that one or two songs in their repertoire that are like, you could sing this on a Sunday morning. Like if you've got a, you got a decent worship leader, you could pull this off. Whereas, I mean, it's not like you're out there playing DC talk songs on a Sunday morning or newsboy songs no. other than their worship stuff, but you're not, you're not playing, right. you know, like their, their radio hits. And that's kind of that weird, it is a Christian music industry kind of weaves, weaves itself together where you're like, okay, how do we get more notoriety in the churches? How do we keep, you know, not only radio play, but how do we get it, you know, uh, not to talk about money, but how do we get that CCLI money? <laughs> you know, from well, the churches. But at the so. same time, I understand that we as Christian artists, we as Christian musicians, we hate talking about the money because we have been trained over the years that the money is a root of all evil and that yep. that that's where greed can can really go into. But at the same time, if you truly value it, you should really pay for it. Yep. Now, if someone's freely willing to give, then they're freely willing to give. And with that, I look at the Christian music industry, which granted, this is not what this podcast is about, but <laughs> we look at that industry. And at the end of the day, we have to also look at it as not just a ministry, but we also have to look at it as if we want this person to continue going, they can't live at poverty. Yep. So we need to make sure that everyone gets paid. Everyone gets to enjoy what happens. And if a million dollars is made, 
then it doesn't just go to some guy who says, well, I don't believe in Jesus. And, (laughs) you know, it it goes to all the people that deserve it. Just the end, deserve it. Whether Mm -hmm. that be the person who cleans the studio after you leave, or that's the person who writes the song. You know, everybody gets paid. So I I, I am in on that. But to go back to the the worship side of things and looking at, at modern worship, it is also kind of interesting to look to go back to your point of people just making some sort of a Christian album, Kanye West jumped into that. <laughs> yeah. And he did this not because he felt like he could make a billion. He did this because he felt at the moment it was time for him to express that side of himself. Yeah. And he got some flack, but at the same time, there's a lot of people who will never listen to a single modern worship Christian type album ever until Kanye put his name on it. Yeah. I believe it's yay West. now. I believe he just goes by yay, but Oh, I'm sorry. Yahweh <laughs> West. Hold yeah, on. Wait a second. <laughs> <It's> not okay. <laughs> oh, God bless us. <laughs> What's interesting is, you know, like Carrie Underwood, she's put out a worship album and, there have been other, yep. you know, secular artists that have that have expressed their faith. And I would I would never say it's a money grab because you, you look at like the cost of putting an album no. together versus what they make. Like that there's nothing associated with that. And also, I mean, not to get political on anything, but you know, it's it's certainly not a positive political move, right? Or or it's right. certainly not a you know, I'm doing this just to be famous. No. We've had the opportunity to talk to, you know, secular artists. You know, I've worked with some and been around some of them that that have done the, the you know, they're Christians, but they're in the secular world. You know, you definitely see them have to walk that line of going. We we booked that the one guy who ended up not playing in Music City, but Joe Nichols, he had his, you know, song Tequila Makes Her Clothes Fall Off or whatever, is the song that made him famous. Yeah. And yet he's done all this stuff with Billy Graham and he's done all these other things. And he's like, yeah, but when I play a show, everyone's like, you have to play that one song that he doesn't. Right. He doesn't really believe that anymore. You know, he's had that he's had that change in his life. And, you know, you look at the the list of, of artists that have, you know, performed with like a Chris Tomlin. I mean, the guys from Florida Georgia line and Oh, sure. You know, all these all these guys who have party rock tunes or party country tunes and they are believers. So it is, you know, obviously rare that they're able to say those things but publicly, but when they do have that opportunity to express themselves. I mean, you and I have hit on this numerous times. You know, we got to play with uh Jonathan Cain from Journey, who who is clearly yeah. now, you know, he's a very outspoken Christian, mm-hmm. but he, he plays in Journey, right? And th- they certainly, when they perform a, a set, it's not like Jonathan's out there, you know, singing Kumbaya. He's out there playing, you know, all the hits, right? right? And uh, yeah, he's also not walking around signing Bibles, baptizing right. <laughs> people, right? You know, exactly. he, yep. he, serving communion, deciding right. to baptize the kids, you know, yeah. He's he's not he's not doing all those kinds of things, but at the same time, he also knows that his actions and his words yep. make a difference. We've gotten way off of the point of this, but <laughs> true. So I'm going to circle back real quick to someone you mentioned, which I believe brings us to 20 years ago, and that person is Chris Tomlin. Yep, that's about 2006. I remember. Yep. In 1999, 2000, somewhere in there, I saw Delirious in concert. Oh, yeah. And the opener was Chris Tomlin. It was at that time that I got to hear The Noise We Make. That was his his album at the time. And it was really his take at trying to bring more of that electrified type of worship sound. And you could tell... He was trying to make a worship album that was more electrified. And sure enough, when you look at most churches over the last 20 years, what does their repertoire have in it? It has at least 16,000 Chris Tomlin songs in it. Yeah. (laughs) Because he has done so much with that. He's rearranged hymns. He has made his own. He has got a byline on most of the major worship songs of the like early 2000s even into the 2010s and so Chris Tomlin is one of those that I look at and go man that was a big deal but honestly 
I'm going to say one other group that probably jump-started him towards his next album, and that was Third Day. Oh, yeah. Third Day made their Offerings album. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, it opened a floodgate of people going, okay, I can do this. Yeah. You look at Third Day casting crowns, Tomlin, obviously, but like, you know, Tomlin... Well, he's on the byline for a lot of that writing. There's mm-hmm. all these guys who are behind him who now have careers, but yeah. for a long time they were just songwriters. You know, you've got Matt Marr, you've got Matt Redman, uh, Jesse Reeves, um, and then you've got Ed Cash, who now in his yeah. in his mid fifties is out with We the Kingdom doing his mm-hmm. own stuff. But I mean, Ed Cash produced almost every one of of Tomlin's hit records. Uh, he was a producer yeah. on 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 them, and you think about these guys who who basically have written the new worship hymnal, even though we don't put it in a spiral bound book and slide it yeah. in the back of the pews anymore. There is this new worship hymnal that, that between, you know, like you said, third day, Tomlin, Matt Marr, Redman, mm-hmm. um, they've created this new worship hymnal that just about every church uses too. It's interesting to see, you know, you and I have talked, you know, we're both Lutheran, uh, you know, obviously the evangelicals are a couple years ahead of us as far as bringing guitars into worship, but, to oh, see yeah, like totally. you know catholic churches now have modern worship masses now that yep. involve drums and guitars and and full bands and yeah. you know it, it's become a thing and and obviously the gear's different and the the way it's presented is different from church to church to church but uh yep. using that same catalog of music you know has has kind of redefined i mean when we grew up it was all organs written by martin luther you know 300 400 yeah. years ago <laughs> Uh, 500 years ago now. (laughs) Well, as mentioned before, you know, it's those bar songs that he used to sing. And actually, that brings up one of his biggest ones, which was A Mighty Fortress. So Mighty Fortress is Our God is is a Martin Luther song. And that's something that's still sung and changed into contemporary stuff. So, Yeah. yeah. And just to be clear, not Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, who lived like in the, you know, 15th century. right. Yeah, right. We're talking about somebody much, much older. Much, yes. much older. Now, with all that, I will mention that there is a concert I went to. If if we go back to 30 years ago, that was probably my jump start into this is Christian music. And that concert was Michael W. Smith. Oh, yeah. In 1996... Great. At Six Flags Over Texas, which is a big amusement park, I remember hearing "Friends are friends forever." We got the lighters the Lord out. Is Lord of all. You know, and yes, <laughs> yep. John just immediately pulled out the lighter and started going. Just a proverbial lighter. He didn't. He didn't actually have a lighter, but it's a proverbial yes. lighter. Yes, yes. Kind of like the Statue of Liberty. Get the cell phone out. There we go. That's what we do nowadays. Anyway. Back to the point. And I remember hearing that song with the roller coasters going over and going, yeah, this is lame. I'd like to have Aerosmith or Bon Jovi. Yeah. And I didn't realize until much later what he really had done. And that's really start this wave of, yes, this is piano driven, but there's a lot of arrangement to it. And that's the reason why partly I think that over time, what has gone on is we've seen churches be okay with the music walking in and being a part of service, a blended service, if you will, and then eventually becoming its own service. And with that came gear needs, the needs for certain type of sound reinforcement. So one of the first things I remember being like a big deal like gear reinforcement thing was monitors you're just not using the church house system you actually get something that's just designed for you to come right back at you and then it switched from floor wedges to the ever so known avium system have you ever used the avium system yeah you know my church still has it and we still use it because it Yep. It works. It functions. Darn right it does. Yeah, you've done a rehearsal there with us. Yeah, it still it still gets yeah. the job done. 
And, and uh, you know what? My church has used it and continued to use it until about two years ago when we decided to upgrade to another piece of gear that was really important. But I, I want to hear what your take is on the monitor thing before we go to the next one. So real quick, though, much like your Michael W. Smith story, mine was a little band called White Heart. <laughs> I was in junior yes. high. It was like nineteen, like ninety one or something, and I went to an event. Of course, it, it was. It was an arena. White Hearts playing on the main stage, and I, you know, gosh, I was 10, 11, 12 years old, and uh, I remember like sitting in the crowd and going, "I want to do that for a living. I want to that <laughs> whatever that is. I want to be a part of that." Yes, you and, do. Uh, now I get to put on big shows, but anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I grew up. You know, I started playing drums at this jazz service when I was in in high school. And I was a year out of high school. I was in college when we launched our satellite modern worship location. We were like one mix, three floor wedges when we got there for like six people. <laughs> and we dealt with that. Yep. But we were setting up like in a high school auditorium or high school cafeteria. So it was a satellite location until we got to build the, the building. But I remember doing those jazz services. It was like playing in your basement. I had to play quiet enough that I could hear the, the bass player and the piano Mm-hmm. You know, and there were no mics on anything. Like we were just no. making noise in the sanctuary or making music in the sanctuary. When we started doing the modern stuff, um, this would have been 98, 99, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we had a, you know, just an old Behringer mixer with like two monitor sends on it. And yeah. uh, <laughs> now this is the analog version oh, yeah. of a Behringer. Yes. Because yeah, nowadays is... people know them for their digital stuff, but no, this yeah. is a long time ago. This is back when Mackie was awesome and PV was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Get a PV Mark IV board, man. You're you're on fire. Oh. But it had two effects sends and two monitor sends. But I think we only had a one channel amp that could run three monitors, kind of thing. I mean, it was just it was it was archaic in in, in modern standards. But but to your point, like all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, we. I can hear the singers now. I can hear the the yeah. keyboard player now. When we were doing it, it was basically keyboard, drums, vocals, uh, and and then it was the the one guy who kind of knew how to play guitar, so he was willing to play bass, and then the kid who knew how to play guitar. That's <laughs> so true. I mean, that's that's how it was. Hey, you know where you know where G, C, and D are on on the notes, right? Yeah, okay, great. Here's a yeah. bass. You know, have you ever played a power chord before? Great, yeah. just follow the index finger. You'll be fine. Yeah. And I, I remember I went I was sort of on staff with the church for for quite a while as you know a twenty something year old doing tech and doing doing um, actually worship leading there for a while for about five years. I okay. was playing guitar and I was the worship guy. I was holding wow. it all together. Really, I helped pick out the music and made sure everyone showed up, uh, but I played guitar. Yeah. And you know what? Isn't that part of the deal? I yeah. mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> I remember a guy named Casey who showed up. He's like, well, I kind of play guitar, and he kind of fumbled through chords for a while, and I remember getting the budget to go buy a like Squire P bass and being like, Casey, would you play bass for us? And it was like, sure. And then, you know, Jim, Jim was our piano player, and then Jim's like, I can move my hands up now. I don't have to play the root notes anymore, and- yeah, which, by the way, having Jim in a band like that is kind of like having a Ferrari in the school zone. Yeah. <laughs> you're just downshifting the whole time, and you're looking for a zero gear. Jim yeah. is that amazing of a piano player, so that makes he's, sense. Yeah. He, he's definitely the cheat code on uh, yeah, uh, on, on worship, yeah. <laughs> but back then, I mean, me and him were both, you know, we were like 20, I think I was 20, 21 at the time, and Jim was 19 at the time. I mean, we were just young. We were kids. Yeah. But we were kind of handed the keys to this worship service, and, and we just kind of did our thing. And then when we moved into our new building, we got more mixes and, and got a bigger console and stuff. But then when digital consoles came out and every church started getting the Yamaha M7, oh, which yeah. was this gigantic digital desk compared to what is current with the, the, you know, the, the Midas and the Behringer consoles. Yeah. These massive consoles that, you know, even the, the Yamaha, that's where the Avium systems came in. I mean, you could run a cat five cable to all these little boxes and each musician could dial up one of eight, <laughs> eight instruments yeah. that was sent to it. I mean, that's just, that was huge. That was game changing. Cause all of a sudden now you can, 
you yeah. actually hear your own things and you you run a cord up your back and and put some put some headphones on this is before we had in-ears or any of that kind of stuff but oh yeah uh, yeah that was all that was all huge for the christian worship experience from a musician yeah. standpoint so well i remember when we got aviums and they were like, oh, yeah, you can do your own monitor mix. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then they plugged it into a floor wedge and it was like, OK, and you could dial it in. That was great. And I remember walking into a church and that's the way that they ran it. And I was like, nope, that's not the way we're going to run this. This is not OK. And fortunate for me, honestly, because I would say fortunate for them, but they didn't care. So fortunate for me, they listened because, you know, it would have been real frustrating going, oh my gosh, I know you're doing it wrong, but you won't listen. But they were like, yeah, we'll do this. And it cleared up the sound. Sound was much better and everything. And eventually I ended up going to another church and they had aviums and they were using in-ears and all that. But we decided to upgrade the board. And that's probably the gear that's worth mentioning in this is when you upgrade a soundboard, you unlock lots of things. Mm-hmm. And for us, we went to, I think it's an Allen and Heath Q7. Yep. That that's a great console. Yep. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, you're allowed to get like the ME ones, which is their own basically like avium type thing, but it's specific to it. And we use that and it's great. It just sounds great. And every part of it is good. And when I think about where things have gone and I think about the fact that you can save a scene and then the next team comes up and you just recall the old scene, I I tell you what, sound reinforcement is good. It's good to have great speakers that go out to the audience. But if what takes all the input is terrible then the output is going to be terrible. And that was a big deal for us to get to that. Yeah, I remember we we went to the the Yamaha the LS9, which was the M7's little brother. Didn't have a touchscreen on it, and that was the Avium, the like the world-changing type setup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jim had become like the worship leader. He got graduated college and he was a worship leader. Like me and him, like pulled okay. all this cable through the old sanctuary and stuff. We did all these updates to this old, you know, two hundred year old building or hundred year old building at the time. Yep. We also had our our new worship space where we had you know kind of everything built out. But there was the, always the battle of, hey, we need the singers to go to headphones too. So this, but the singers always wanted wedges, and then the musicians were on ears, and it was just yep. this weird balance and and battle. But what's changed the game really is not even just the AVM stuff, but like now, I'm sure the the SQ7's got it, but the Midas, the M32, you know, w- which we use when we play out, mm-hmm. you know, there's the app and and you just open up your tablet. Yep. I mean, you just, all right, here's what I want. And I mean, I know when we play together, yep. I mean, I'm I'm sitting in the back with an open iPad next to me and I kind of mix for, yep. for Lynn and for, for other people who, do, who can't touch it. But I know you just pull out your phone and you're like, oh, I need a little more of that. Okay, great. Yep, I'm done. There and it off is. we go. Yeah, I had a dedicated iPad that doesn't really work with anything but that console. And I would just yeah. pull up that and go, you know what? It, I guess it's worth it to keep the iPad 2 around because yeah. it still works with this. And so there you go. Now, since we're talking about gear, I think we need to take a break for the sponsors. Okay. But when we come back, we're going to talk about drum gear because there's analog and digital. We're going to talk about guitar gear. Because there's analog and digital. Uh And we're also going to kind of finish things off a little bit. And we're going to talk about kind of more of the, the change that has most recently happened. And that is, because of the pandemic, online worship. So we'll talk about all that when we come back from this break from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Who doesn't love a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In 2023, they will host one of the largest music festivals in the United States in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. 
Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzmann Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzmann started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at kretzmannguitars.com. Let's hear from our final sponsor. If you like my voice on this podcast, I am using a TechZone Audio Products Stellar X3, and I am honored for the opportunity to represent it. Let's go. All right. So, John, when I look at some of the big things that have gone on, we kind of finished off talking about some of the sound gear, which some people are like, oh, sound gear, yeah, whatever. Right. But we should talk a little bit about the gear of worship now. So one of the things that has happened to me is in 2008, I stopped touring full-time as a musician. And I started doing more of the, here's the fly gig, here's the church gig, here's the local gig. And that, that was pretty much it. And in that time, I went from, I got to have my amp to all of a sudden I need something smaller for flying or I need something quieter for the sanctuary. And one of the things that drove that was whether or not there was an acoustic drum set or an electric drum set. So I'm going to ask you about this first before I go into the guitar gear. Acoustic kit, electric kit, which is better for the modern worship today? Well, I was I was a little controversial last time I was sitting on the couch when I said, mm-hmm. you know, no one cares about your input from the guitar. Yep. True. I will tell you, as a drummer, it pains me to say, as a sound guy, we don't care either. Uh, give me the digital kit. It's fine. <laughs> um, however, depending upon your space, one is better than the other. Okay. So now, just purely thinking worship, world Mm -hmm. if you are in a small sanctuary or you're in a huge sanctuary that has nothing but reverb qualities right if you're in one of these old sanctuaries that's huge high ceilings whole deal there are not enough drum cages in the world to make drums (laughs) sound really good in a mix (laughs) that being said you have to spend money on it you can't go buy the like Three hundred dollar, you know, Black Friday, crappy Alesis drum kit that Guitar Center put on sale for two hundred bucks. They don't sound good. They don't sound right. You know, right. Much, much like the guitar world has gotten better with Kemper and with with uh, you know Quad Cortex and Line Six and the Helix and all that stuff. The drum sounds have gotten really good. The difference is is the response. And how the triggers work and how the the pads work. Because mm-hmm. when we first launched the satellite thing, going all the way back to the early 90s or late 90s, early 2000s, we had analog drums, you know, regular drum set. And, and I was playing it. And it was always the like, I'll play with the hot rods or I'll play with the smallest, thinnest, lightest sticks I can find to not be overpowering. Right. And then... We bought a drum kit, but we bought the one that like had zero feel, zero response. Like you could literally hear me hitting the rubber pads more than you could hear the sound that was being amplified yeah. through the PA. And obviously in the last 20 years, that's just been a, a monumental change in how good they sound and how good the pads are and things. But it's still about what you, you get, what you pay for, right? Like, right. You could buy a $300 pod go and it sounds really good. It doesn't do all the things that the, the, the $1,500 Helix does, but it still sounds mm-hmm. good. Drums are not that. If you buy the $300 drum kit, it does not sound good. You have to buy the yeah. expensive, you know, either the Roland or, um, I mean, Elisa's does make a really good one, but they, they have a lot of cheap options as well. Yeah. So that's my take on drums is if you have a space that you cannot play an acoustic kit in, even in a cage, even in a shell, even whatever. Mm-hmm and you have to go digital, you're going to have a better experience. The drummer won't. The drummer is going to hate playing them personally. Maybe some yeah. people like playing them, but I I just I despise them in all forms. Even the good ones, I just hate playing them. But from a worship standpoint, because one thing that we haven't said, and this is this is how I always approach anytime I've ever worked with worship musicians, 
the purpose of you as a worship musician is not to play a gig, not to play a show, not even to worship yourself. Your job, in my opinion, as a worship leader or as a worship musician is to facilitate the congregation to worship. That is your only job. That is your only purpose. Absolutely. Uh, To any worship leaders out there listening, do not expect to get anything out of a Sunday morning that you are leading worship. You need to go find your own source. When I was doing worship, I would actually go to a Saturday night worship service because I needed that worship experience that that I had mm-hmm. no control over. I had no, I wasn't performing. I wasn't playing. I wasn't doing anything because when I showed up Sunday morning, my job was to facilitate the congregation in worship. And as a drummer, that that's another thing. My job is not to perform and to make a, you know, make a joyful noise and all those things, right? My job is to facilitate worship. And if I'm playing too loud, if I'm playing too hard, if I'm playing too fast, if I'm playing too slow, if any of those things impede people from worshiping, then I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing what I'm called to do on that Sunday morning. That being said, if you can play acoustic drums, great, because they do sound better. They do, they work better. But digital drums in their purpose, you may have to suck it up as a drummer and go, this is what I need to do to facilitate worship in my, in my space. So that was one of the interesting things that I noticed with playing out as a professional musician doing Christian music, but a professional musician playing at the club, playing at the big outdoor festival, playing in the arena style or whatever was that's when you got to be the rock star. I'll I'll, I'll say Mm -hmm. that with a little bit of a question mark to it. But, you know, you got to be that kind of thing. But whenever we were hired to do an event and lead worship and do that, there is a a humbleness where you walk up and go, I'm not here to promote myself. I am here to facilitate worship, facilitate emotion. And that's one of those things that's really interesting. I'm going to go back 40 years Go back to that time into hymns. I remember singing Mighty Fortress is Our God and going into all of that and going, you know, it's an old hymn, whatever. But when you go back to 1500s, you know, you go back to Martin Luther, his time. Now, you go into that and you find out when he wrote that. He wrote that during the Black Plague. <laughs> He wrote that during a pandemic, and he actually has some words in there where he actually says, let gods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, the truth be still, meaning, you know, stable and fixed, his kingdom is forever. And it's interesting how that time in which you look where there's this pandemic, there's this hatred, there's this this like, woe is me, this is the end, and there is worship still happening. There is still this, we need to facilitate this understanding, this reality, that it's not about me, it's about the greater part of it. And we go ahead and take a look at now, and we look at the pandemic that we currently are in, or just finishing up on, or whatever, And something magical happened. And that something magical that happened was online worship. Oh, yeah. Because when I see online worship and I see what's gone on, I mean, people are back in church. Do we need online worship? No. But at the same time, I know for a fact that the church that I currently play with has people who listen in Pennsylvania. They have people who listen in Germany. They have people who listen all across the country and all across the world. And it's one of those things that you go, worship is being facilitated. And yes, the drum set (laughs) can be a part of that. It's mic'd perfectly whenever it's electric, you know. Yeah. But even the guitar tones, I mean, I'm a little bit of an amp snob. I'm a little bit of a pedal snob. I'm a little bit of a guitar. Okay, I'm a lot of a guitar snob. But when I play worship, I have been searching for 15 years how to make what I do sound like an amp with pedals with a great guitar 
with gear that has been trying to catch up to that. And, you know, the Kemper did a great job with that. Quad Cortex has done a great job with that. The FM9 by Fractal has done a great job. The Line 6 Helix has done a great job with that. And I honestly, I applaud those different manufacturers for trying to better that curve because they see it too. Whether they're willing to admit they're doing it for worship or just for the the bar guy who doesn't want to do much or the person who's looking to fly, at the same time, they know what their niche is. Mm -hmm. They know it is modern worship that's doing it, and they're getting to hear it now with that online worship. Yeah, It's it's made a huge deal. Yeah, you look at, I mean, even Sweetwater, Full Compass, name your, you know, name your uh, retailer at at, at Will, you know, Guitar Center, Musician's Friend, whatever. They leaned hard into all of these things when you start talking about cameras for, for video production, when you start talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. live stream capabilities, you start talking about how to make all this work. I mean, I remember my church, we were literally the like prop up a phone during service and we'll just Facebook live the Sunday morning. And what we get is what we get. And, you know, there's like seven people that watch it remotely. And I was one of those people. I mean, I, I travel for work a lot. I wouldn't always catch it live, but I'd always, you know, go back to it. And, you know, even if I had 20 minutes, I'd go find the sermon and, and listen to the sermon and listen to some of the, you yeah. know, listen to the closing songs or whatever. Um, but now it's a thing, right? Like, I mean, instantly what the pandemic forced us to do when churches had to close their doors for worship um, instantly made us all say, okay, how do we still commune together how do we still get together on a sunday morning mm-hmm. you know and it was right before easter ironically that we yeah. all had to figure this out and it was somebody grab a camera and record the church i mean i remember our worship yeah. team at church all right we're all going to get together and we were literally pressing record on the camera and we were mixing we had a guy in the booth put in ears in and he's mixing the the console now for the camera feed yeah which now has continued, and now we actually live stream the event. We 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 live stream our Sunday morning, and we've got somebody who, yep. you know, does a separate mix down. I mean, there's all the things that go into what hits the camera versus what hits the the thing. I mean, you had you had a I don't remember who's on the couch a couple times ago, but you know, you've got a, a whole audio engineer whose job it is is just to mix the live stream. It's just broadcasting, yeah. And and churches have gone to that. I mean, they they have that now. And it's a completely different skill set than it is to do live, right? Like it's 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 a it whole is. nother another layer to that. Well, and one of the big differences for him is it's not just mixing in the room, being done in the room, and being happy in the room. It's also then listening to it afterwards and going, "Oh man, how did that sound different in the room than it does online right now?" Something about the compression, something about the EQing, something about something, and being able to take that to the next week and go, "Okay." I need to bump the 2K or I need to drop down the piano or whatever. And over time, things get much, much better. And that's one of the beauties of that online service is that you get a lot of people who are uh, troubleshooting along the way. And that's the nice thing about being in the in the business of grace is you can yeah. kind of go, well, that one wasn't so good. But then the next week you come back and you go, oh, that one's better. And then the next one you go, oh, that one was really good. And, <laughs> and you just continue to go through with it. And and as a live audio engineer, as a guy who who does a lot of live mixing, you know, the, the thing that I always know is if I make a huge mistake or something doesn't happen right, or even, even as musicians, like you're playing out a lot of shows, you make a big mistake, they're gone, right? <laughs> like no one, yeah. if no one caught it in the moment, oh yeah, no one sees it. When you do these live streams or when you do, um, you know, these, these recorded services, like it's out yeah. there forever. Like it's out there, you yeah, know, and, and somebody says something wrong or makes, does something wrong or whatever the case may be. And, and it's just out there forever, <laughs> forever, forever, and never, and never. It will never change. <laughs> yep. yep. So I guess this starts to bring us to our, our final thoughts of things. And I want to mention one more thing before we hit final thoughts and To circle back to earlier on, you mentioned something about the captive free days. And for those that don't know what that is, which is pretty much everybody, basically there was this (laughs) touring music ministry group that it was a bunch of volunteers. They would get together 
and they were strangers. They didn't know each other. And they were told, here's a van, here's some music, here's a bunch of training. Now we're going to have you go tour to churches and ministry places and homeless shelters and nursing homes. And, and they would send us to all these different places. And they would say, just go be in the area, play, do ministry, preach the gospel, go there. And when I was on team, when I did Captive Free, this was 99-2000. We were North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, some Wisconsin, some Iowa, some Illinois, and some Canada. That was all of our area, and we were busy essentially every day. There really wasn't a day without a booking. We were supposed to get Mondays off, and if we had 40 Mondays we were supposed to have off, we got like 30 of them. You know, there were still like some days we just had to do it because that's what was calling for it. With all that said, that was that was 2000 when we were done. And by 2000, I'd say like five, all of a sudden, bookings were gone. Like these groups didn't have places to go. And the large reason why was because worship music in the church became a much bigger thing. There were more talented musicians in their own congregation than there was coming from this pool of America willing to come up and and do ministry for a year. And to me, that is honestly a testament to where the evolution of modern Christian worship music has gone. Is not just are you having to like scour the US, scour the world because we had some people from like Denmark and you know all over coming. But Instead, it's a testament to how people in the community went, well, I grew up playing Van Halen, and I grew up playing ACDC, and I grew up playing Johnny Cash, but I can get behind this this Crowder guy. Mm -hmm. I can get behind this Tomlin guy. I can get behind Michael W. Smith. He has three names, but whatever, you know, like, (laughs) you know. I can get behind this. And, and that's, I think that that's a good testament to where this has gone over time too. You know, to piggyback on that, we used to book captive free, you know, every year when they would come around, right? Like we, Oh, you're there in our area. We'd book them in. And it it got to the point where we had established this music team that was, was really good. And it it kind of served its purpose and it kind of went away. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think back to when I, I started out, it was me and my buddy Jim, you know, Jim's playing piano, I'm playing drums. Then uh, we opened our new building and it was Jim got a different job and left and he went to Chicago for a while or whatever. And, uh, okay, we need a guitar player. We need somebody to lead. And I went and I found a high school kid that could play drums and he, we grew him up. You know, I mean, he was, uh, mm-hmm. his name was Joe Huget and dude played for, I mean, eight years. I think he was our drummer, like his entire junior high and high school career he was our drummer and it was building up these musicians and and sending them out. You know, they'd graduate high school and they'd go off. And I think it's a pretty common story with churches where you see these high school kids that, that start to love music and worship on Sunday mornings gives them that opportunity to perform and gives them that opportunity to, to play in front of people. And it instills in them all the things that you want musicians to have, right? Like that responsibility that learning the music, they got to know it by Sunday because they're going to be on stage. You know, maybe grandma's going to show up and you got to, you know, look good for grandma on Sunday or whatever the case oh, may of be. Of course. Uh, All grandma wants to hear is her baby's baby play. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, you know, you've got that growth of musicians that groups like Captive Free and other organizations that, that kind of help spur on this modern worship movement. You know, and now you've got musicians and churches and you've got churches that have budgets to pay musicians. And you've got churches that yeah. have budgets to 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 put, you know, really good worship out there. Yeah. I mean, we we haven't even talked about lighting and and worship haze. You know, uh, yeah. Churches, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that need the that you know that Fog churches machines. that have yes. I mean, I remember you know our church. We just had basic lighting pad. You know, it was just 
on, right? And, you know, then it was like, ooh, let's do some uplights and let's do a black. Oh, all of a sudden now, instead of a, a tan front, we're now going to have black curtains and uplights yeah. and we're going to add. Oh, there's lighting changes yeah. now, you know, lighting cues, you know, all of a sudden, you know, oh, we're going to communion. Okay, let's light up the, the communion tables. Let's light up the altar during this portion. Yeah. And from a tech side, you know, there's there's so many opportunities to get involved from people running ProPresenter and, you know, which is a fancy version of PowerPoint yep. uh, or Media Shout, I think is another one that's out there um, to put lyrics on. I remember, I, I remember in 99 when we launched that that sanctuary, that church. We were literally doing, you know, transfers sheets with a overhead projector and, you know, somebody's like yeah. slapping the thing on and then, okay, we're about to do the next verse, pull the sheet off and throw the next one on. And if you mix the sheets up, then all of a sudden, you know, no one knows what yeah. the songs are <laughs> to what's now, you know, with these fancy moving backgrounds and all the technology that's, oh, that's yeah. been embraced. And, you know, one thing about, about live streaming, you know, we, we didn't talk about the pandemic is, is life church. I don't know if you if you're familiar with you know Craig Rochelle and stuff down in Oklahoma, yeah. But I mean they pioneered live streaming church, and then when the pandemic hit, they had a free option for churches, and it's still free. Uh, they have software that you can live stream uh, based off of the Life Church app or whatever. I, I we don't use it, but yeah. I mean it's one of those things where you know, ten years ago they were doing this, and everyone's like, who's gonna watch church online? And, uh, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and it's like everybody now, um, yeah, who's not going to watch church online. Exactly. And again, that need of on a Sunday morning when people can't be in congregation to still have that sense of community and to still have that sense of, of belonging to a, to a, a church. You mentioned your guys, you know, you're all over the country. We're all over the country, same kind of thing. And people kind of stumble into church and, and, it leads me to the the one anecdote is, you know, the there's the guy who holds up the sign in the end zone, right? The John 316 sign at the football game. Yeah. There's a there's an old story about a guy who who did that every every year for, you know, you know, decades and somebody's like, "Why do you do that every Sunday?" And he goes, "If one person sees the sign and wonders about it and goes into the Bible and figures out that, you know, for God gave his only son, that's all worth it." And I think, you know, as 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 the body of Christ and as 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 churchgoers and as people who who believe in, in, in this ministry, you know, putting the live stream out, if you're not getting 10,000 views, don't feel bad. Like if you're getting six views, somebody's hearing the message yeah. and, and, and it's important yeah. and it's, it's definitely worth doing. Yeah. You know, I, I look at it as a, you know, it's its own mission field. You know, we've got people who watch our, our lives from similar all over the world, people from different countries who've stumbled into our, our little goofy church in Nina, Wisconsin. Yep. That, you know, they, they found a home there. They like the preaching style. They like the music. They like, they like what's going on and they found a connection and, and that's important. So anyone who, who maybe have an interest in doing any type of, of live stream or tech or anything or podcasts or whatever, you know, it's, it's important. It's important to, to find that community and connect with people. So. Yeah, I completely agree. So, you know, that's quite a bit of a final thought. Even that is my final thought about <laughs> final thoughts. Yeah, I think that might be it. I don't know. It, maybe you have more to it. But as as I look at final thoughts and as I look at all of the things that we have talked about and everything to it. Yes, the evolution, as ironic as the term evolution is in this, the evolution of modern worship music and and really where it's gone is one of the things that's amazing is the music gets to change. The yep. music gets to be another part of worship. And, and actually, Martin Luther even said it this way. He said that that the music is, is second to the Bible. And, that, and that's mm -hmm. it. So it's like Bible, God's word, and then number two, the music. And that's where he was with this. And, and I agree that it is that important in the worship, it, that worship isn't just the word. It can be, but when you add the other element to it, it just enhances. It continues to move it forward. And I love where it has gone. I love there's an online presence. I love that there's a following. I love that it allows people to go, well, I really love that church up in Nina. And I really love that church in Hearst. And I really love that church found in Sweden. 
and yeah. they're able to get it every single day. I mean, how often do we get church one hour to two hours a week, maybe? And now you get a chance to get it multiple times and multiple ways. And so with all of that, you know, I guess I need to get off my pulpit and off my soapbox (laughs) and everything. But my final thoughts to this is that I like to see where it's going. And what I also want to add to that is it doesn't diminish those that have not gone that direction because there is a niche for that too. There are people who need the organ to be a part of it. There are people who want to hear a mighty fortress is our God every single week. There are those people and that's needed too. And it does not discount what that is. I can't agree more uh, with what you just said. I think there's, there's definitely the, as we look at the body of Christ, right? Like there's so many different parts there's the evangelical that's like, here's the worship haze and the singers and the 20 musicians mm-hmm. and the and the lights and the screens. And the- $80,000 sound system and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you you juxtaposition that to the, the 50 people that are meeting in a basement. And I'll use mm-hmm. our personal experience. I mean, you and I have played in front of 20,000 people at a festival. Yep. And we have played to 100 people in Las Vegas, right? At a, at a little youth True. event. But that's only after everybody showed up because before everybody showed up, it was like 22. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Opening night, we played to 22 people. And then by the end of the event, there were 100. And not to get super spiritual about this, but like the the Holy Spirit is at both of these events, right? The the purpose behind them, the meaning behind them, the, the reason to do it doesn't change. Whether you go to a church that has a hundred thousand people, you know, worshiping over a course of a weekend. I don't know anybody that does that, but actually Life Church does when you count all the online stuff. But um or you've got fifty people meeting in a basement of a you know, rec center or whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, as long as you're doing it with passion, as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, there's nothing that, that you need to do. You don't need a helix and in ears and all of this stuff to do worship, right? Yeah. On the other hand, if you have a band, it really helps, but if but you yeah. don't need it, right? You don't need haze and lights and all these things to do worship, but they can enhance the experience and there's nothing wrong with that. And I actually got stuck in that, in that, in that realm for a while. I was, I was at a church where I was the one where I was leading worship. Like we didn't have lighting, you know, we just had like basic lighting and I'm like, you don't need haze and you don't need moving lights and we don't need any of this stuff. Like we're doing it the right way. And you know, the church down the street's doing it, all the wacky video and all that stuff. Yeah. And then I'm like, you know, it would be nice if we had some, some lights, you know? Yeah. Actually, actually it'd be kind of nice if we had a little bit better, you know, instead of doing transparencies yeah. on a, on a thing, let's get a laptop and, and do PowerPoint. You know, pro presenter is nice, you know, like you kind of, yeah. You, you, as as you yeah. experience those things, and as you can afford those things, and as you can do those things, but don't yeah. don't ever discount somebody with a guitar playing to a group of people on a Sunday morning. There's a simplicity in that, all the way up yeah. to the mega church down the road that has the, the the huge budget. Don't discount the huge budgeted church to say how are you spending all this money on this stuff? Because there's people who. Right who experience worship differently because of that, because of the stuff that's there versus the people who use a pipe organ on a Sunday morning. Sometimes I love just sitting down with a piano and hearing a worship hymn and worship tune. And I've traveled to Alaska to some of these small villages and I've sat in a room with 10 people and somebody on a piano playing a worship song, a mighty fortresses or God, or uh, our God is an awesome God or a modern day, you know, Chris Tomlin tune or, or, or casting crown song or whatever we were singing at the time. And and the spirit's there and it can move you just as much as it can when you're worshiping in front of 30,000 people or 50,000 people or whatever, you, you know, whatever the event is, that's huge. There's a simplicity in it. And there's, there's, there's a, an amazing experience in that. Just like when you're standing on a stage at, at a huge festival and there's 30,000 or 50,000 people singing a worship song together they're different experiences, but they have the same Holy Spirit involved with them. So I have two quick things to go to that. I remember one time I was with a buddy of mine when I was in chiropractic school and we were filing some, some notes that we had and some, uh, some x-rays that we had done and stuff like that, putting in the patient charts and putting them away. 
and we were talking about worship music and he said that he went to a church and there was a lot to it. And I said, I said, wow, it just seems like a lot of entertainment. And he says, I want to be entertained. And yeah. immediately in that moment, I went, I'll take it. I, I didn't judge him because he needed to have the entertainment to be there. I just looked at it and went, you have a stronger desire to be there because of, I'll take it. Yep. Yep. Because some is better than none. And the second one is to go into a secular realm, even though I could use, I could easily use Christian ones with this. I have heard Ed Sharon play with a band and I've heard Ed Sharon play on his own. And I can honestly tell you the impact of both are different. And so the person who says, I need the full band and the lights and the smoke and the worship haze and all that versus the someone who goes, I'll take a person at a coffee shop singing to the best of their ability and, and the gifts that they have been given. Both have their place. Yeah. I have never felt more ecstatic in hearing John Foreman play than when it was by himself versus when he was with all of Switchfoot. So yeah. I will say that. So I don't know. We've probably talked enough. I know we've gone quite a bit over the final thoughts thing, but. Oh man, this therapy was amazing though. I, uh, I feel completely rejuvenated coming out of this therapy session. So, you know, it's interesting. I was not sure how this would end up going because you're not a huge fan of like modern worship uh, and <laughs> in the sense of the genre idea. And it's a lot of what I do. But at the same time, this podcast is mostly about like guitar and gear. And I went, well, let's give it a shot and let's see what happens. And honestly, I'm done with this therapy session going. I feel like I'm ready to go to church practice on Thursday and then play on Sunday again with a different mindset. Yeah. It's good. It's very good. Thank you for being a part of group therapy, John. You've helped me. I hope that we've helped you too and the world around us. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'll always take it. So whenever I can sit on the couch, it's, a, it's an amazing time, Dr. T, and uh, can't wait yep. to be back again. So, All right. Well, until next time. Next time. See ya. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in a review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.